So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I've got a longtime friend. I was trying to think about how long. It's definitely been a decade and a half or so. Uh, on the mic on the other end, in the great state of California, uh, that's Marlon Holden. Uh, Graylight is <laughs> a lot of you may know him online. What's up, dude? What's up, man? Like, that's the worst introduction I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I had to throw that out there. Wrap me out like that. Yeah. Out of Jesus, the everybody's going to stop listening now. <laughs> Where are you at in California? Oh, you're going to make it even worse now. It's insult to injury. I'm in Laguna Beach. So I'm like on the coast on the very south end of the uh, state. Gotcha. Well, at least, you know, uh, down there or whatever, like I, I would imagine if you own any house or property, it's worth a lot of money, uh, I think. Okay, time out. We need to start this all over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, That's funny. No, I, 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 uh, I, I like it here. Um because right now you're, you know, in the teens with snow and, and I get to walk around in shorts and t-shirts. So it's good for that. And it's good for business, uh, for, you know, retail aspect of business. So I like it here for those reasons. Um, other than that, I spend probably 300 days a year away from here. So good for business. When I come into town, it's, it's nice to enjoy some weather outside of, you know, all the, all the cold stuff happening around these months coming up. And then uh, the rest of the year, I, I try and stay in the field. That way, I don't have to endure the traffic or the people. Gotcha. Well, for for anybody listening in that hasn't you know followed along with uh, Marlin or Graylight is what most people would probably know you by online. Marlin is an exceptional photographer, um, which is something we have in common. Also. Uh, an insanely addicted, uh, I'd say borderline having a problem, uh, mule deer hunter. Um, and you've been that way forever since I've known you. Um, you've hunted all over the place for mule deer, multiple different states, um, and, and, and been doing it with a bow for, for years and years and years. So you actually have, um, a photography studio, um, that, that has nothing to do with hunting. And then you also obviously hunt like a madman all over the place for mule deer pretty much exclusively. Yeah. It's funny. Like when I was a kid, I didn't know anything about hunting and we kind of just sailed around the world on a sailboat and, um, fished, did a lot of fishing, got my captain's license. When I was younger. And then I, I started hunting when I was like 28, right? Like right around there. And I fell in love with bow hunting and, you know, I, I looked at all the animals. I think back then, back in that time, it was uh, Bowhunt America was like the magazine that was all over the place in my archery shop. And I picked up a couple of those and I was looking at them and mule deer just, I was like, these things are fucking incredible. I, I looked at them and they just seemed like they, they screamed the mountains, freedom and, and wild places and the West. And so I, I squarely set my focus on learning about them and yeah I, I never look back they're they're just magic so to answer your question or to the to the statement you just made about the studio and everything like my whole world has revolved around just monetizing something that i loved so that that way i could go pursue my passion which i love photography 
I think photography is one of those things that lets us see the world because your photography is, you know, the same. You capture these remarkable moments in nature, remarkable moments of just atmosphere and mountains and this freedom, this level of freedom that a lot of people that, you know, listen to your podcast, quite honestly, that, that, you know, they're constantly wishing they were out doing that and in that. And so I, I do what I love, but then that's the way I have chosen to monetize the freedom side of it, to be able to go pursue all these deer in all these different states. And, and that's like really what sets my heart on fire. So pretty cool stuff. Well, you've been able to travel, um, not just with obviously hunting, but you travel even more with photography, but we'll, we'll dive down the photography rabbit hole here later on in the the podcast. Um, as I, as I've said, like with Marlin, I'm trying to think was probably 2008, um, seven, eight, nine timeframe is when I knew who you were. And then later on, uh, you know, down the line, we got to know each other more. I think it was probably on forums or some, uh, both both site, probably something like that. Um, was probably, probably where I first you were like, you. yeah, I was, I was just taking notice of this mountain savage freaking hammering down all the time. I'm like, this dude is freaking got it on point and he's got his mind in the right place. And, and I've definitely been following you ever since then and, and watching everything you do. When we started actually becoming friends is when I was, you know, probably most drawn to the whole idea of wanting to work with you and do things with you and be a part of Kafaru and whatnot. And I'm just really stoked to be, uh, you know, be able to do uh, a part or play a part in, um, in the hunting industry with you and, and help promote something that I think is a best in class product and really love it, man. I've, I've loved the, the whole uh, development of our relationship from the very start. So no, it's been cool and it's kind of weird. We're about the same age. I'm a little bit older, but not not by much. Um, the the bow hunting, obviously, mule deer is a big thing for me. Photography, it's kind of kind of crazy. But uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to get Marlon on here before we drift off into 97 different subjects um, is you have something pretty exciting and new coming out that that uh, you're coming out with that I, I've never seen anyone do uh, specifically to you know to mule deer. So when you had Talk to me about that. I've been meaning to get you on the podcast for a while. It just hasn't, you know, worked out with our schedules. I was like, well, dude, let's, let's, let's talk about this on the podcast. It's exciting. It sounds very advantageous to, to, to people as far as learning, but talk, talk a little bit about that before we start running at the mouth at everything else. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that being successful in the field, how we are, I mean, there's a certain mindset that goes with it. And for, I'm going to just use you as an example, since we're on, on the, on the mic right now, like you spare no expense at making sure that you're all in and your passion, your dedication. A lot of the people that, you know, I talk to or a lot of people that we interact and engage with on a daily basis, they, they have jobs, they have families, they have X, Y, Z, but you know, we do too. And we've figured out a way to be able to maximize our time in the field, but, truly give it our all and then there's this thing called instinct you just have that instinct the thing that i've noticed along this path this kind of this journey is that everyone has instinct but how connected are they to it like how 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 truly connected are they to the way that they feel about the field and what's going to happen next as a result of how they're listening to their intuition and i think that courses by and large do you know 
wonders for people from the standpoint of, you know, the steps, like steps one through 10 or whatever. And it gives people a good kind of like base baseline to follow, but there's so much intricacy in the field. There's so much that goes into the hunt that you can't teach in a course because once a course is over, let's face it, the course is over. So I've spent the last year and a half kind of brainstorming this. I've researched, you know, what's available in the market, uh, what's being offered. There's a lot of ma- master class um, types situations available on, on web uh, format and then in-person course training, which I think are awesome. And I don't think they should stop. I think that those things, you know, help and promote um the lifestyle, the hunting and outdoorsman uh, lifestyle. And and I'd like to back up just a second, Aaron, and just say that like bow hunting is not a sport. And I know that a lot of people like to say it's a sport, but it's, it's an absolute lifestyle. And anybody who truly loves it, they're invested. They're all in. They want to know everything they can about it and about that species. And so my thought process is when I was getting into bow hunting at a later age, there was no resources available. Like back then there was nothing. Uh, you, well, I, I'll, I'll say that you had forums, you had forums like the monster movies, the bow site, whatever you had the forums of the world, but like, let's face it. Anybody who was serious about it and was successful about it, they'd never share anything. They, they kind of keep it, you know, hush. And if you went on and asked about something, they basically say, well, we need you to contribute first before we say anything. So it really wasn't, a big resource, so to speak. It was just somewhere where you could go to enjoy photos and people's success and stuff like that. And there was more shit talking, I think, than anything else on those things. And that's why I steered away from them. When social media came along, I'm like, same, oh, same. A much, <laughs> yeah, it's such a, it's a way better platform because there's just so much hate, so much envy, so much jealousy, so much bullshit. I'm like, you know, I don't need this drama in my life. I want to go out in the field have a good time and share it with like-minded people. And so when Instagram started popping, I'm like, fuck, this is a cool platform. I want to be a part of this. And so I signed up, I was a little bit late to the game and I never took it super serious, but at the end of the day, um, it's, it's like, um, those who love you follow you and those who hate you watch you from a distance. They probably are even watching you even more. But at the end of the day, I would say by and large, it's a very positive platform where we've been able to share, uh, with a large group of brothers and sisters that truly enjoy and love the outdoors and can look past all the garbage and sit there and support each other and cheer each other on and promote solid growth for the outdoors industry, which I think is encouraging and really great. So that fast forwards me to today and the work that I've been putting on on my brand as far as Graylight's concerned. And I wanted to do a mobile app something that nobody's done yet. And I'm sure after this podcast, there's probably going to be a dozen to follow after it. But at the end of the day, it's okay. Like I wanted to do something that was first to market, something that was new, something that was innovative. And look, I I don't want to be the center of attention on this, but I mean, if we compare kills, like you've massacred anything I've ever been able to do, do in the field. I'm not trying to say I'm the best guy in the world at this. All I'm saying is that I hunt strictly with a bow, so it means you have to get to know the critters. You have to understand how to get into their mind and know what they're thinking. And you can't, you know, you can press your agenda, but your agenda is pressed based off of understanding them. And with that understanding of intellect and and knowledge and skill set on those animals and killing, you know, probably over 60 of them uh, over the last 16 years, um, there's this kind of, I feel like this ethos of just, 
consistent understanding of behavior patterns to where now I choose what I want to kill versus, oh, geez, I hope I get lucky. And the whole point of the app is to remove myself from being the center of attention and remove how big an animal is, but just sit there and talk about how do we really take the knowledge base accrued over, you know, just short of a couple decades. And you're not going to get everything right away, right? Because that's thousands and thousands and thousands of videos. It's going to take years to develop this content. But I've been working on it for the last year and I've uploaded probably a little over 200 videos and I'm going to go in January, I'm going to upload more, you know, and, and all through the off season, I'm going to upload more. These are all going to be like one to three minute insights on the hunt, on equipment, on survival, but moreover, like woodsmanship. And I think that um, as as I get older, like you're saying, we're, we're approximately the same, same age. I'm 44. And, you know, you look like you're younger than me, so it's hard to believe that you're telling me you're older. But um, as we get older, I think there's this this mindset of self-sustainability, um, understanding who you are and what place you what what place and where you stand as far as your skills, your skills, your uh, skill set, your abilities, your mindset, what that means when you're on the mountain. Um, because there's a lot of times when you might be uncomfortable or you might not be exactly feeling like being there. It's wet, cold, you're tired. You don't want to get out of bed another day and you don't want to stay two weeks away from your family, but you're dedicated to the grind. And I think that trying to allow somebody to get into your headspace and see what the culmination of events looks like in order to make these hunts successful successively year in and year out, year after year, to build that consistency will allow people to be able to kind of maybe flip the switch and say, okay, okay, I'm not getting everything all at once, but I'm, I'm getting this trickle flow of knowledge, of insight that allows me to understand what success looks like from an insider's perspective versus what it looks like out on the outside. Maybe it'll, it'll stop people from saying, oh, he's lucky all the time, or oh, he's always in good bucks, or oh, he just, you know, probably shoots him with a rifle and posts it up with a bow next to him. No, it's like hard work. It's determination. It is saying, you know what? I miss my family, but it's gonna have to wait until I get this done because I'm gonna be more of a failure if I come home with an empty tag. Like, and, and, that, and, and I'm not saying that it's bad to come home with an empty tag. Shoot, I came home with a bunch of them this year because I chose not to shoot smaller animals. But I just want to try and propagate an overall kind of higher learning and continued education from an, uh, a technology platform. So everybody has apps, but if you go online and look for hunting apps, there just simply isn't any. And so we'll be the first uh, technology-based app available on Android and iOS called Graylight. On Android, you have to type it in gray and then light, so it has to be separate. Or I'm sorry, you have to type it in together, so it's Graylight, all one word. Uh, and then iOS, it doesn't matter, it'll just pick it up. But the app is designed to take you through different things, whether it's um, mountain safety, whether it's navigation, whether it's terrain, habitat, behavior, uh, field judging or scouting, or shooting in the moment of truth, whatever the case may be, there's all these different content related courses, subject specific that I'm going to continue to update and add on to. So that way we can just evolve together, grow together um, and learn together. 
and eventually be able to say that, yeah, we've been able to change the repetition or the cycle, the, the failures that have occurred in the field and, and move that over into like the win category. And uh, that's, that's my goal here with it. It's just to create a really positive, um, engaging app that allows people that want to learn more that the, the information just isn't out there. And I know this is long winded. I'm going to quit here pretty soon, but like there's, there's something to be said, I believe is when you speak to your audience, when you speak to your audience, you've been there, you've done that. It's hallowed ground for you. You've, you've done it in such repetition that that shot cycle is buried and etched into your memory toward you don't even think when it happens, but to all of our audience, it's not the case. And my goal with this is to make sure that I'm trying to perpetuate that type of feeling that that understanding of not only their equipment, but manifesting their desires of, Hey, I really want a buck. Okay. Here's how you do it. And here's how you overcome these obstacles. Cause if you go onto a fish and game website and you're looking for literature on a, on a certain hunt, it kind of breaks it down by a percentage of private and public property or, you know, buck to doe ratios or what mountain range, you know, the deer summer on, but there's not really the specifics of, how do I read the terrain? How am I going to understand the habitat? And what is the behavior given to times a year in the certain habitats? And that's really what we go into, brother. Gotcha. So like in a little bit more depth, obviously that's um, fairly broad strokes, but you'll get down as far as when you say whether it's habitat or animal behavior, are you going to break it down obviously in video format as well as maybe text like what... Um, what the deer are eating in the high country or, or in the desert, what to look for as far as that goes, um, where they may, you know, be bedding, where they, where they may not bed a basin that probably isn't going to have anything into it. Like break it down like that way in, in video format to where it gives them a little more visual or a little text and video. Cause I know you had said you, you'd done quite a bit of videos already. So. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, definitely the way I'm doing it. It's, it's very raw extremely uncut you're going to see me out of breath a lot you know showing my age because now I, i'm i'm more full of wisdom than i am full of energy and and uh and gusto it's just that's what 44 does to you but there's a lot of stuff in my brain that i feel like i can impart on people and so they're one to say five minute iphone videos like i might be in the middle of a stock i'm just gonna whip out my phone and start showing how my feet touch the rock and how I, how, how the cadence is of distribution of weight and keeping my boots on, not hiking around or not stocking in socks. Like I killed over 50 mule deer without my boot, you know, without taking my boots off. I never take them off and I don't put anything else on them. I just stock. And I think that, um, you know, there's this big to do about taking them off because they think they'll have the added edge, but it's more about the movement you're making, how you're distributing your weight, what kind of noise you're making than anything else. Yeah. And so I'm breaking it down very granular, just like you said, little videos, very, very raw. Uh, there's going to be absolutely nothing fancy about it. And, and then I'm uploading those in little segments, just like if you go down to the desert, you're hunting Sonoran habitat, for example, and you're trying to understand like there's hundreds and hundreds of square miles of this stuff, like Palo Verde's creosote, freaking ironwoods for days. It just stretches for months. How am I going to figure out where there, where a deer is? I'm going to break down 
how you approach country and what you're going to look for. Like if you're looking at, this is a, a very small example. If you're looking at a, a mature Palo Verde, that's like a 12 to 15 foot tall Palo Verde. And you're looking at the inner trunk of it and everything's green on these things usually, but let's say it's a pale yellow. Let's say it's a pale yellow and there's like a bunch of little tiny green leaves coming in on the main tree. Well, that's going to tell you that the little green leaves are recent precipitation. We're talking within the last 60 days. So it's bloomed and it's sprouting leaves. It's a segmented plant. So that means it'll cut off its extremities during extreme drought and it'll totally die. So you won't see that green, but the pale yellow is going to indicate that it burned up over the summer and that that drought though wasn't extended. So that drought lasted the summer only. Now, if it starts getting into different colors of yellow and then starts branching over into that orange category, orange means the tree is dying. And that means it's seen successive summers, like more than two summers of drought, which it'll burn up and it'll die that it, the, the desert will die completely. Um, so I don't care if you see a really green tree with a lot of uh, leaves on it that looks super healthy, but then you look in the inside, you can tell whether the animals are going to be there long-term or short-term based off of how that tree is indicating, giving you that signal that, hey, you need to move on. You need to look for a different country where the health, the desert's a little bit healthier, and that's where you're going to want to focus on looking for sign first. And once you find sign, then you're going to start looking for mountains to get up on. Like there's different strategies that I'll use in order to locate animals based off of the conditions and the terrain type instead of wandering around aimlessly. And that's what the app's designed for is to try and get into the mindset of understanding how the animal works, how they use the country versus arbitrarily just saying, screw it. I'm going to go up here and check it out. You can totally spin your wheels and waste your time, you know? Gotcha. And I mean, you know, there's nothing occasionally you're going to, uh, spin your wheels. Um, but it's when I say spin your wheels, uh, you are spinning your wheels with a plan, meaning scouting, but you have a fairly decent idea of what you're wanting to go do when you scout and you may spin your wheels, you know, for a short period of time to see the things that you're talking about to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bounce. Like this is not where I want to be, where somebody might spend, go to the same spot, and not know what to look for and spin their wheels for a lot, lot longer. There's specific things I look for in high, con high country mule deer areas, um, as well as uh, somewhat in the desert or, or lower altitude that are big, you know, giveaways for me of, are there going to be deer there? Once you know that, you're not really spinning your wheels. You're going to see, you know, deer. And now you're going to find out if there's big deer there. A lot of people will spend the same amount of time in one, a lot of time in one spot that other people may walk out immediately when they look at it. Um, and I've found that a lot. And when I say that, if you go into the high country, there's places I might not even spend a night at or, or, or may spend one night and bounce because it's, there's things in that area that I thought I liked on the map that are not there that I needed to see with my eyes. And you can go to the most beautiful, pristine basin, you know, the high mountains have to offer. And that does not mean that fucker is going to hold deer. And a lot of times they don't. Thousand percent, dude. I, yeah. I, I, you and I are on the same page with that. Like there's no ands, ifs, or buts on it. There's some of the most beautiful basins in the world up in the high country and they don't hold a, a thing. And, and, 
And now the difference here is like, can I tell you why they don't hold deer? No, nah, I, I could never tell you why they don't hold deer because I'd sit there and look at it and go, this, this fucker should hold deer in it, but it doesn't. And, you know, you just move on. But you can tell by the sign, like, pretty quick whether or not it's holding. And obviously, you know, if you give it that morning sit and you're there right, you know, 30 minutes before sunrise and you're really putting glass to work hard before anything has a chance to go hide um, and you're not seeing anything, I mean, you can fairly well bet you should move on. But you're right. A lot of people will sit there and they'll grind it out. They'll say, oh, well, maybe I didn't see it. And, you know, they may do an evening sit and then they'll sit there and say, oh, well, the, you know, evenings aren't as good as the morning. So, you know, I might as well try and do it and uh, get another angle and do another morning sit. You, know, you got to find sign and if sign's not there you need to leave and and cover more country and figure out where they're holding at yeah and when i uh when i go you know when people ask general info for me i always say you want to at least sit one morning and one evening as a as a as a base there's a lot of times though if i just sit one morning and don't see anything I'm definitely not hanging out. Mornings are generally better for me than evenings, but there, there's also, if I don't see any deer in an evening, that's that's bad, right? I mean, I definitely, but <laughs> if I mean, I should see something. And and I've had guys tell me, well, you know, I glassed all night. I, I saw two deer and I'm like, hmm. I mean, the night evenings are worse, but they're not that bad. Holy shit. Like, that's not good. Like two deers, just not enough. And I'll give you an example of, you know, something that I've, I've, I've really noticed, you know, shit years ago, if that basin does not have good egress, meaning those deer can't escape. So if it's surrounded by rock cliffs with no spot they can get through, they're probably not going to live there. They, they got to survive. There's got to be an escape route. And if if it's vertical cliffs all the way around and, and, and it's a long way to timber below them, that's a place probably isn't going to hold deer. E egress is important to deer. Food is another one, obviously, that's important. Water, not so much. They don't need water as much as like an elk. But I've went into basins that literally I thought, man, this would be a perfect place to see a deer. And so like three forkies and three does. And I'm like, hmm the dumb deer hang out here and it's generally like egress was one of them like okay they got, they got no place to escape and if you ever get on a high country buck or a group of them and you shoot one out of the group if that deer dies quick keep an eye on his buddies because you are going to learn a lot from where those little bastards go now depending upon where you're at and everything else but you watch those deer especially if you get some jack wagon coming in from the bottom of the basin Watch where there's those deer mm -hmm. blow out because that's telling you a story that you definitely need to know, whether that be for specific, like maybe future um, plans on an ambush, but also where the where the hell they're going, right? Where, where you can go find them again. Yeah, and, and you know, that tribal knowledge is, is barring you have a winter, a bad winter that kind of kills the age class, that tribal knowledge is going to continue. I've seen deer exactly like you say do the same thing year in and year out. And then the only time that'll ever change is when they get winter killed. And then the younger deer won't understand that. It'll take them a few years to figure out what they're doing. And you'll even see genetics change in those basins because of that. Dude, super, super important topics. Like that's stuff that's like really good to know. Let's talk about that a little bit more. When you look at, at sheep, um, they have a lead ram in that band of sheep and that lead ram is older he's wiser he'll get them through the winter he's going to make smarter decisions and then you're going to have a second in command there's a hierarchy a lot of times in the high country there may be one buck all, all by himself there may be um you know two bucks you know it's just you know sometimes a big one will have a little toady 
But when the winter hits, they're back together and that lead deer is, you know, the smartest actually, or doe, uh, you know, like a, a seven-year-old doe is, is extremely smart too. That's going to keep them safe. That escape route, like you said, that is taught. And so that the, all that other group of uh, all the other deer in that group are learning from that guy, which way he ran. And that will be an escape route forever for those deer. I mean, that's why they're there as yep. they've learned it. And I don't, people do not, I'm saying people, I'm not downplaying, you know, when you're new, you're new, you know what you know. Like I didn't go in there saying, oh, deer are going to fucking run this way. I didn't know. I blew them out and then learned it like over time. Um, yep. But dissecting it, that is exactly what you're talking about with this app is, is speeding up the learning curve. Speeding up the learning curve. And, and you know, look, for a guy like you or me, um, you're going to know like everything already. And a lot of it, you'll sit there and say, gosh, that's, you know, elementary at basic. Um, but I got to start with a lot of foundational formative pieces. And, and then as the hunts evolve and as situations arise, I want to whip that phone out and start recording to be able to just show you raw, Hey, this is what's happening, you know, and understand that through course of everything that we learn is always going to be based off of repetition. A foundation of doing it consistently with repetition is going to reach into our long-term memory bank and create a tool. And from that tool bag, we'll be able to pull from during any condition in life, whether it's surviving, whether it's hunting a deer, whether it's relationships and family, we'll be able to sit there and say, yeah, that didn't work really well in the past. So I need to switch it up. And I've learned that over time, this works well. And we're going to pull from that tool bag. And really, at the end of the day, whether it's core foundational elementary components or whether it's fairly advanced understandings of behavior or strategy, all of those things are going to come out in the hunt at different times. And my, my desire is to pull from those, to extrapolate that data and information and be able to present it to our audience or our group to be able to learn from it and allow them to have that as a core piece of their understanding. And to be honest, like when you have new people, I love the fact that new people are getting into hunting. I, I encourage it because dude, we're getting old, like in as little as what, 20 or 30 years, like we might be hunting them, sucking food for us from a straw out of a freaking electric wheelchair. And if we're lucky shooting them with a rifle and dude, I'll be so stoked to see all these kids running around perpetuating and, and becoming the new ambassadors in the next generation. And that's really ultimately what I'd love to see, but there's a, a wrong way to do it. And there's a right way to do it. And I'm not the one that wants to sit there and say that, you know, Hey, you're doing it wrong. But if anybody watches what I do and, and they like what I do, I would like them to be able to say, Oh, I'd like to get into Marlon's head. How did he kill those mule deer? I love, you know, I love the fact that he's doing it consistently. How do I do that? If they're interested in learning my methodology and my strategy, which honestly isn't all that different from yours, brother. So, um, that, that's the idea is to be able to have an app, a place in gray light where people can go and convene, ask questions, um, engage in the community and and be able to look into these different categories and as i update them just have more knowledge it's it's you know it's an in-app purchase it's pretty cheap to be honest it's like less than a tank of gas for the whole year right so um people can go in and just use it and look at it and and come back to it and look at it again and more detailed information than what you're going to see uh presented in most platforms in this day and age, especially for mule deer. 
A lot of the time you got to consider your source. I think all the time you got to consider your source. There's very few people that I sit there and I go, I'm going to listen to you because you actually have something to contribute to me. I'm going to listen to everyone, but I'm going to filter that, that information really quick, whether it's bullshit or reality. And, and I know what works and so do you. So it's like, you're not going to nine times out of 10, you're going to listen to somebody, but the, the data that's coming in, you're going to, you're going to pretty much really quick, pick up your bullshit meter and see whether it's real or whether it's not. And with this, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like, just go straight to things that I think are things that give, provide value that are going to truly help somebody uh, assimilate, digest, understand how to deploy it and figure it out. A lot of the videos are just very simple things. Super, super simple. Like, I mean, mountain safety, you know, you might get a guy from back East that really wanted to go on his first hunt and he's going up a scree field, but he doesn't know about widow makers. He doesn't know about how to navigate across talus safely without breaking his ankle. He doesn't know about foundational rocks, the, the ones that are kind of like embedded into the dirt a little bit more than others that are going to help him not slip or going down something that's steeper than 50 degrees and needing to work your boots in sideways and slightly do zigzag patterns across it so you don't go straight down and start rolling, you know, and not stopping and, and ragdoll yourself. Like, something that's super simple that you and I honestly wouldn't even think of, but for them, it's important. Uh, you know, that, that there's going to be stuff like that all the way up to advanced techniques and, and strategies and things that I, you know, that we'll see. We'll just see them play out just as the hunt progresses. You know, and I, I think that, um, and I'm bad about doing this, you know, update, not updating, but, but logging what's going on, videoing for informational sake. I mean, I put info out there, but there's things that happen, you know, on a hunt that I'll, I'll make a decision, um, that, that later on, you know, when I'm guiding, I'll, I will be flagging or, or watching a guy go in on a stock that ran into, you know, six, eight months, a year later, the same situation, that I had in watching the decision he made compared to the one I made. And I don't make the right decision all the time by any stretch, but later on asking him, Hey man, why, uh, why did you do that instead of this? And he'll come back and, and generally his response is for, for lack of wisdom, wisdom. Um, and yet you, you, wisdom is, is from getting out there and doing it. I'll give you an example of, you know, when you're in the cliff, steep slope or whatever, you may be trying to work around uh, where a mule deer is under the cliffs feeding when he when he exits out of those cliffs um, to, to move his way out of the sun. Let's say, you know, he's going to feed under those cliffs. And as the sun moves, it's going to hit him. The morning moves on by nine or 10 o'clock, whatever. He's going to he's going to move around that mountain. Well, let's say you're you're trying to shift down above him and, and get down to where he's going to head. And there's a shale field. And I've seen this happen a bunch. Do you try to cross the shale, which I do not because it's fucking loud? Or do you go the extra mile, climb, which doesn't sound like much, the 150 yards straight up to go around it to stay out of the shale, loop above it? Or do you cross it? So here's the thing. And I know like this seems like what you're kind of talking about with this is the the lot like this the 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 it would be quicker you know the, the shortest uh distance between between two points is a straight line quickest thing is to cross that shale field it's a guarantee the deer is going to run off you can't levitate when i say that with most shale fields they're louder now a certain amount of movement in shale they're used to rock shift things like that 
but mm-hmm. more than most likely it, you, you may not cross that thing and um, make it without him looking up and, and in my case seeing my fat ass and so I'm like okay I'm going to climb up and around it it's going to take me a little longer but I know that deer if I'm far enough ahead or if I'm in good enough shape or I've planned it out am going to be able to get a, in, in front of him without him hearing me that's a judgment call yeah. My judgment from that is from fucking it up going the other way too many times to where I'm like, I'll go the extra mile. Those are the, dude. those are the kind of things that, that I, it seems like you're talking about on all of this. And I'm just giving examples out there for things that people are like, why would I download an app? That may seem not that big of a deal. Mm. Blow a couple 180 mule deer out. <laughs> walk home with the dunce cap of shame, you'll be like, why did I cross the shale field? Or why didn't, why, why, when I say that, it may be that it's those big boulders, like where you're talking about their static boulders. I'm running across mm-hmm. those things. They don't make any noise. Like I can sprint right. across those. Well, why did you cross it this time? Different type of rock, yep. different, different type of field. Thousand percent, dude, you're nailing it on the head. Like I'm, I'm literally walking across these mixed distribution shell slides, decomposed granite, like here, you know, sometimes you, the better choice might be to go up and around, but we always have to consider the fact that you can't, you can, you can sometimes get away with movement in close proximity as long as it's peripheral. And then as soon as they lock in, you're dead, dead in movement zero nothing and then they'll eventually turn away and do their thing again you can sometimes get away with some noise and you can even screw up and they know something's there but if you give it enough time they'll continue doing what they're doing but the one thing you can't screw up is again smell like you know they wind you it's a done deal so like in all circumstances we're hunting the wind in every facet of the hunt and then we're kind of capitulating on you know see me hear me see me hear me see me hear me right like which one are they gonna not do or not do smells out of the question they can't do any of that but i can allow a couple variances to a very slight marginal degree based off of wisdom and knowledge on what their behavior is on the other two sometimes and based off of those three components going to tell you whether you have to cross that shale or whether you need to take a different route to get around it. And at the end of the day, the hunt is always evolving. I mean, more than anyone I've seen you in every situation, dude, like that shot, those shots you do on the freaking billies when you're up in the cliffs, when you're uh, uh, hunting those out at down in Texas, it's like, holy crap, man. There's some stuff that you got to do to get around those animals. And I'm watching you post your content and stuff like that. And that's wisdom. That's always stuff that you've learned, like on the shift, on the fly you're doing it uh year in year out and now you know well somebody like you just said blow a couple 180s out and see how how you feel about it and those little tiny pieces of insight are are you know what i'm trying to get out there and my god dude when i first started hunting i wish something like this was available even if i didn't get everything i needed right now even if i had a question that wasn't necessarily on there i know it's going to be on there because it's just the way the hunt evolves it's going to be there because that's just something that's going to come up. And over time, it's going to be this huge warehouse, this robust content warehouse. And one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to talk about states. I'm not going to talk about units. I'm going to put that out there right now. If you want state or unit information, like I, I think that it's better to help somebody 
achieve an understanding of how to build proficiency and how to become a better hunter. Um, there's a lot of services that already provide information about states and units, and I don't want to contribute to, you know, uh, certain areas getting more attention or not and, and kind of like blowing things up. And I don't, I don't want to be that type of a person in the hunting industry. I simply want to help you ha- build a skill set, uh, have a better understanding and knowledge base of, of basically, you know, my own tactics and what I'm interested in, in trying to put out into the world. And if like, you know, people did this in general, some of the greats, not just people trying to make a name for themselves, but proven track record guys like you, like, dude, they're going to download both apps. They're going to, they're truly going to want to know how to get inside your head, how to get in my head. You know, I don't hunt elk. I don't hunt whitetail, but I'm very core focused on mule deer. And I guarantee you that you're going to learn something if you want to understand Western spot and stock bow hunting and mule deer, even if you're an elk hunter, it doesn't matter. It's going to translate similarly with, with the standpoint that everything has a nose, everything has eyes and ears and, and they have a tendency to have those same patterns of, Hey, they don't want to hear you. They don't want to smell you. You can get away with some certain things, but really at the end of the day, you, you have to always be aware of your surroundings, your situation and and how to make sure that you come out on top given those difficult challenging situations in the mountains all i want to do is try and help with that information base well well while we're talking about that just to not get away from the app but just to talk informational based stuff that you may or may not have in the app um i'm assuming for everything i'm talking about you're going to have it but you know just some some scenarios and things that that um you know for people to think about like when they're heading out there like when you when you look at um talking about like Arizona, you know, and I don't have a, like a long 20 year experience history in Arizona. It's just a few years. And one of the things I learned really quick is it's really pressured. And, uh, you know, when I say really pressured, I mean, fucking pressured. And, uh, you know, Tom, Dick and Hank can be a guide and outfitter down there. It seems like, like you just kind of show up one day and you're an outfitter or a guide. Um, so you can have multiple different outfitting or guide businesses on the public land down there. But the deer is still killable. Um, it just takes, from what I have seen, some very crafty uh, footwork. It takes uh, a little bit more than you might, uh, you know, th- uh, think. You know, <laughs> what am I trying to say here? You know, in the high country, there's a certain, you know, you'll glass all morning, freeze to death, watch them bed, figure out if it's feasible, get on top of them and shoot them. It may be an ambush where they're crossing around it, whatever, where the desert you got to get up to the highest point possible. You got to glass until your eyes fall out. Um, you know, it's a little bit different um, because there's not the same topography. Uh, they're not bedding, you know, in these cliffs that are make them a lot easier to, you know, when they, when they bed in that pinion juniper shit, it's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to be still hunting my ass through that. I'm not quiet enough, you know, so you may need to catch them coming out of that. So you may have to watch them a couple times going in, see if they go to the same spot in hopes to be there when they come back out or, what you know whatever there's tons of scenarios but the thing that you, you that that i see people when they're blowing out animals um is generally pretty what i would call like schoolyard shit right it's pretty low level knowledge uh, um once you've done it a few times you know, and, and when I say low level of schoolyard shit, I mean, we're talking the ABCs of hunting, but if you haven't done it, it'd be no different than the first time I whitetail hunted. And I don't know that you've really whitetail hunted at all. Yeah, you're 
you don't know what the fuck you're doing. I mean, it's an animal. You got an idea. It's got to eat and drink and wants to have sex, but there's a lot more to it than that. And when you, your tactics from hunting multiple different States, I would imagine change greatly from one area to another. Yeah, dude, like crazy. And you're, you're hitting the nail on the head tactics and strategy and approach. You know, we go up into the high country, we're looking at the mountains, we're looking at the highest parts of the mountains. You go to the desert, you look at the mountains, you're going to have a really shitty hunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ain't going to see anything, you know? And and they're smart. You know, sometimes they're living five miles away from the mountain. The biggest animals are living way, they'll push the does way out. And it depends on precipitation, right? Like, if you've had recent rain, the deer are going to suck up tighter to the mountain because there's going to be a lot more standing water. So once the, once you're in the fall, like in, in, you know, in November, unless there's been extended extreme drought, don't plan on hitting water and, and, and trying to sit water. It's a waste of time. You'll never see a mature buck hit water, uh, after, you know, there's been appreciable rainfall throughout the, throughout the summer and the monsoons and, and into the fall. And there's just so many different elements that go into it. You're exactly right. Like, uh, tactics and strategies and the deployment of those uh, different toolkits are totally different given every circumstance that you, you hunt. The migration is going to be totally different, like hint, hunting them on the winter range and, and how they're going to use that winter range. It's, it's pretty cool and diversified. And that's why I like to do it, though. I like hunting them in all these different places because it, it just broadens the scope and the depth of, you know, your understanding of this truly magic species and you're right i suck at whitetail hunting i did it twice in kansas <clears throat> one one year i sat in trees i think i sat in trees for like 15 days 15 sits and, and i did go out you know with a with a, a guy that was an outfitter and he wanted to be uh, in those like little gray light films i did 15 years ago or whatever um he's like oh cool yeah you know come out and he's like just he, he didn't really show me what to do or anything. He just said, go sit in this tree. He's like, I got these uh, bright eyes, you know, nailed to the tree. Just follow the bright eyes in. He's, and we were talking about sitting, you know, these cut fields and the wind direction is going to be this way in the morning. So this would be a good sit. And I sat there. I sat there for 15 days. I saw like a 140-inch eight point the whole time. I'm like, forget this. This sucks. And like to the guys that can do it and that know it well and that have it like just nailed down, man, you have my utmost respect. Like I love big mountains where I can hike 10 miles and I can put my glass down on multiple basins and see, you know, how those deer are using those basins. Like my heart lies in the West. I love big open expanses of country where my heart's free and my mind is free to just imagine what can be hiding uh, in it. And, and hunting hardwoods um, in the blackjacks, the oaks, and, and whatnot, and, and um, trying to, to get—I don't think it's getting lucky. Just watching what pinch points, choke points, what sign is telling you when something's going to come through, based off of whether you have cameras set up or watching scrapes and rubs, whatever the case may be. Um, it's definitely not luck. I know that you can make your luck doing that, but boy, is that a different game. Yeah. And I, I don't know, you, you'll, you'll hear yeah, the luck thing pops up at a lot, a lot, but you know, success like really doesn't favor, I mean, success doesn't favor anyone unless you put the work in. It's, it's amazing that, um, you know, the, the more you put, as we're talking about this, um, if you go in and scout an area and this is important, 
and you notice you are going to have a, an extreme, the chance of an extreme high angle or an extremely uh, far shot. And I know people get this, you know, all wrapped up in this lot, you know, like, oh, you're not hunting unless it's inside of 40 or whatever. But let's say you're going to have stretch route to 60, 70, 80, or it's going to be a longer shot uh, or excuse me, a, a steeper angled shot. That is something as you're scouting um, that you're looking at that goes above and beyond what the boots on the ground are, meaning this this has nothing to do with you found the deer, you found your area. Now you got to come back and prep for what's in store for you. And and I, I try to preach this and I know you do as well. It's like, hey, if it's going to be like a 45 degree angle shot, you know, 35, 45, you might want to double check that. Right? make it. Yeah, yeah. Double check yep. that rangefinder. More than most likely, the cut is not accurate. You're probably going to want to get a do- oh, dope chart or a cut chart. The next thing is obviously, you know, with with that um, that that steeper angle shot or that farther distance shot is also off angle footing. Not that often are you going to have that perfect footing. So you may want to be on a knee where you're creeping up over an edge or work on drawing your bow and standing up slowly. You know, depending because. Like once you blow, and I, I mean, once you blow a five-year-old deer out, that motherfucker may not come back for four or five days. Um, you know, you may have one chance. You got to yeah. take the best precaution. Like take every precaution you can to make sure that one chance you have results in success. Now it's cool to get close, but I can tell you, I'd much rather be walking the two-mile trip back to my camp after the stock with some meat in my pack coming back for more than the cone of shame thinking, man, I fucked that up bad and I had my chance. And, dude, I've got, I just missed a buck in Nebraska. You know, shit happens, right? Got to do everything you can to prepare for it, though. Yeah, no, for sure. And, like, dude, if anybody sits there and thinks I don't miss, like, I miss. I mean, it's it sucks. It, and But the... <laughs> It's funny because at the same time, when you miss, it pisses me off so damn bad. Like, it pisses me off to my core. Like, how did I fuck that up so bad? And, and, it, and it, it almost it drives you to sit there and say, that ain't going to happen again. Like, there is no way that's going to happen again. I won't let that happen again. I'll get up on top of a mountain and practice that shot, you know, 50 times over until I, I feel comfortable with that shot. And, you know, just this happened just this, this last season, a uh, buddy of mine, he, he's like, dude, I found this deer. He's betting every day at the bottom of these cliffs. He's like, it is straight down. My rangefinder says it's like 83 yards. I'm like, yeah, I'm betting that freaking cut's going to be like, you're going to be shooting for 40 or less. And, and, and I'm like, you, you know, I don't know what your cut's going to be, but you really, at the end of the day, need to get up on the mountain and shoot that like a bunch and figure out what that's going to be because you're not going to be shooting much depending on where you're going to stand and where he's at like you're going to have to figure that out but you're shooting darn near straight down so like figure it out get up there and and work it out that way the mechanics of what's going to happen up on that mountain you've already got them worked out like you don't do that and you're just going to watch it run away and um you know it's like about the most sour taste ever and big bucks like that dude you're absolutely right you get one shot at them they don't freaking they don't hang around for you to make a mistake like that deer is out of there. Um, I can count a couple of deer that I've been able to, you know, catch back up with. One was this double hook cheater buck. He's a 32 and a half inch wide deer with these big old hook cheaters on him that I killed. I found him, uh, I think it was around 17 days 
before I killed him. And the day that I found him, I got winded at like 110 yards. There's no way for me to get any closer. And I wasn't going to take that shot. And eventually try me trying to slide around on this, you know, this, this dirt where it's a kind of dirt that's super dry and loose in the desert where you take one step where you take two steps, you lose, you know, a step and a half, like you're gaining very little, but you're going up slowly. Um, I was trying to navigate around some of these like desert rock pile type cornices that are super steep and sketchy and there's cactus beds and stuff in between it. And, you know, bottom line is, is I couldn't work an angle to get around in on him. And he had kind of does that were dispersed around him to where coming in from above him wasn't an option. It was just kind of like a screwed up situation. Uh, he ended up blowing out. I didn't see that deer I, and I hunted him every day, dude. I burned the candle at both ends to where I was like damn near a zombie by the time I actually saw him. And when I saw him, it was like I said, I think it was around 17 days, thereabouts. It was give or take just a little bit. Like it was right in that wheelhouse. And I hunted him every single day. And when I did catch him, it was literally for less than two minutes less than two minutes now had i not been on this one vantage point he would have been too deep in a cut and he disappeared into the trees following some does and all i did was see him from the back walking away down into a gut and that was it like if my glass was not looking in that direction and i wasn't on this specific knob you just wouldn't have seen him he would have just been gone and it was late in the morning already. It was like 9.40 in the morning or something like that. It was already late morning. He was going to bed. And when I shot him in his bed, he was like in his day bed for the day. It was, you know, just before 11 o'clock when I got into position and I shot him at like 52 yards. And that's all I got. But over two weeks later on this buck, and he was like a seven and a half, eight and a half. He's an old deer. No teeth left. 40 inches of mass, huge eye guards, like regressive, you know, forks weren't all deep, but he was just an impressive frame giant desert deer. He was super smart. Like you just don't get second chances. And if you do, it's because you really, really, really burned the candle to earn it. Um, so just don't mess up the first time. That's the message. That's the takeaway here. Like don't, don't fuck up. Yeah. And that's whether it be on the stock or on the shot or anything. And when I say on the, the, the stock, the, the older the deer get, there's certain things you just can and can't, uh, you know, get away with maybe as much. Meaning, um, you know, you're above a three or four year old deer. You probably could get away with chunking a rock and getting it to stand up and shooting. Maybe. Um, older the deer get that a banana in the tailpipe trick doesn't work as much. Um, the other thing, too, is is um, generally where uh, we don't need to go into this too much, but. It, it just, uh, they don't get that. People say it all the time. They don't get that big from being dumb. They don't get that old from being dumb, that big, however you want to look at it. I mean, a, a smart deer may not be a 200 inch deer. You can have really smart 165 inch deer. I mean, when I say that meaning it's the age right now, the bigger they are, the more they're going to get probably hunted. And that's something that a lot of people don't think about is people will say, Oh, that buck that's six is just as smart as that buck. If they weren't hunted, maybe, but when I say smart, meaning staying alive in the weather, things like that, 
a bigger sized buck is going to get pressured more than a smaller one. And that's just a fact. I mean, there's guys like me that just like to go shoot shit, but I mean, there's a reason that you hear these stories of this, like there's a buck we looked for the other day on the winter range with double droppers and mass, like probably 50 inches of mass. I mean, the thing is just ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, there was another buck I just saw off the side of the road that was 148 inches, probably the same age. Nobody gives a shit about the 145-inch deer, right? And so they get smarter when they're bigger like that because they are pressured more. They're More people have gone on stocks going after them, right? I mean, they've just survived more. Right. No, that's that's without question. And you're absolutely right with comparison on size. Like, size don't matter. There's... When they start getting into that, geez, even the fourth year, the fifth year especially, they just turn into a different creature, and that's why I like hunting them so much. And, like, you know what? Let's back up a second. Like, I suck so much when I hunt that you get around me and be like, that, that's Marlon? Right? Like, what? He, he's horrible. Like, you know, I, I mess up a lot. And it's because I mess up a lot that I've learned to try not to make as many mistakes. Like I've missed countless times in the last, you know, 17 years. Like I've missed so much and it stung a lot. I remember I had this one bow, like, God, I don't even remember how long ago. It was 12 years ago. I was back in my Matthews days. It was the worst bow they ever made. And I'm not saying anything. I know they make fantastic equipment. That's not my goal here. I just know it was like the worst bow I ever shot in my life. I I hunted the high country for 17 days. It took me 17 days to kill a buck. And I missed 11 shots in those 17 days. Like, I was about ready to give up on myself, dude. I was questioning my sanity. I'm like, how can I get in? Like, and everything was sub 60 yards. I mean, I had a shot that was 28 yards. I'm like, what? Like, when the arrow didn't hit its mark, I about freaking, like, threw the bow off the, the mountain. And I'm surprised I didn't. I'm like, there's no way. how I can hit that 10 ways till Sunday. And I don't know what it was, but I sucked with that bow. Absolutely sucked with it. Next year, I got a new bow. Everything was fine. Everything was fine. But uh, those experiences are what formed me. Those are the ones that said, don't quit, don't give up, you can't go home. Um, if, you know, if you suck, learn how not to suck. Like, and if you do suck, just embrace it and learn how to overcome it and become better at it. And, you know, we all make mistakes. It's literally all about how we pick ourselves up and figure out how to make it happen. That's what I want to surround myself with, an unrelenting desire to just say, you know what? It's all good. We make mistakes but hold yourself accountable, get back up, dust off and go make it happen. And, and, you know, that's kind of like something I wanted to just add in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, having a short memory, uh, helps as far as when I say that you want to focus on <laughs> what you did suck on, but don't do Cause you're, you're, I mean, it, especially with traditional archery, you know, your, your next shot's only as good as your last one. Like I tried to make sure that did not happen because there's some missing with the stick bow and, you don't want to dwell on the last one or it's definitely going to affect your next one. The way I tell people with misses is there are some times that there are everything is out of your control. Generally, if the animal moves, that's one thing, right? Wind, when I say out of your control, like you can compensate for the wind, but sometimes it's just out of hand. But 
generally that's not the case. Generally, there was something you did to make that miss happen and just go back, be mad at yourself, figure it out. Like, okay, this is, it's not going to happen again because I'm going to fix it. Don't dwell on it where people like your Eeyore walking around that you missed, just be like, you know what? Fuck it. That is never going to happen to me again. And then work on it. Don't make it a negative Nancy thing. Make, you know, turn that negative into a positive. And when I say that, you know, if you don't do that, you're probably not going to get any better. Like, you know, it's no different whether it's photography, weightlifting, like you have to go back and work on whatever that deficiency was to get better. And that could be slow the fuck down. That's something guys or speed up. Like I'll go on guys on stocks and I'm like, we, you know, they're over there creeping. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? We're 400 yards out. Run. I'm like, go. <laughs> You know, and then and when you get in close, it's like, hey, slow down. Like, we're in the red zone, buddy. Like, Jesus. Sniffing. I'm like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what do you mean? I'm clearing my throat. No, you are not going to clear your throat again. I'm going to hit you with a rock. Like, there are just <laughs> things that you will learn. Like, you can throw rocks a lot. They'll just sit there. They don't give a shit. Rocks fall all day long. Tink your arrow on your riser. Yeah, they might <laughs> get the fuck out quick. And and I've seen so many deer turn inside out from the weirdest things and not really move at all from other things. And so I, those are all things like for me, when you when you look at like your beard rubbing against a puffy jacket, look at it this way. If you're laying in bed with your wife at night, uh, you hear the dog move around or something you're totally used to. Okay, well, you hear the door go. Okay, that's not something that should happen at two in the morning. <laughs> You're 10 yards above a deer or 20, and all of a sudden you've got a puffy jacket on and you just hear, that deer's never heard that shit before, right? He's going to at uh-huh. least look at you, right? He's going to take a look up. But the, the arrow rest on the riser thing, dude, that's that's a fucking killer. People are like, why do you have, because I put it on the bottom of my site housing as well as my riser. And guys are like, what? And I'm like, shit happens. It might bounce and hit my moments. Oh, I just am thinking of all the, and that's, that's not just, uh, that's guiding as well. The other thing too, is I've had clients where I, you know, I forget to tell them to like knock up. I I think I don't do that anymore, but like, it's a, it's a given and they'll pop an arrow out of the, you know, the quiver. I'm, you know what? Snap a knock above 180 inch mule deer or, or a 32 inch out dad (laughs) snap. Yeah, they're going to get the fuck out of Dodge. You won't do it again, right? I mean, I promise you, you won't do it again. But <laughs> you, you know what's funny is most of the lessons, I think every single thing you've talked about is something I've suffered from, and that's why I don't do it anymore. And that's what makes that's what makes it so funny. Like, dude, we've messed up more than you could probably – we're kings of messing up, but then we're also kings of getting back up and saying, okay, that's not going to happen again. And now we know what not to do. And it's just such a perfect example. Don't dwell on your mistakes. Yeah. Get over them, overcome them. One of the things I preach, and and this was mostly back in like my corporate days when I was running uh, a bigger company before I decided to go self-employed and run my small little business. But even in my team now, I, I preach attitude and ability, the two A's. Like you can have, the best attitude in the whole world. Just be the guy that makes everybody laugh. You make good food, cracking jokes. Like everybody's stoked to have you around. You get on the mountain. You just, you, you just, you, you can't do it. You, you can't execute the shot. You're horrible at finding the animals. You just have no ability. And, and inversely, there's this one thing that like, if you have all the ability in the world and, and then you're just a mental, you're a mental uh, like monster where you just crush 
the the vibe, the energy of everything around you just sap energy out of people and they don't want to be around you because you're just such a downer. Or you end up like being your wor- own worst enemy and you end up leaving a hunt before you're able to actually get done what you went to accomplish. I think that in a lot of ways, you have to have both. You have to have good attitude and you have to be paired with a very, very strong skill set with that ability. If you have those, you're going to be great. But if you're missing one, you got to have a long, hard look in the mirror and figure out which one you're missing and fix it. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. And when you, um, anytime, and this is any, you know, going on any hunt in any animal, I mean, they're all the same in the sense of they all want to live, right? Some want to live a little, live a little bit more than others. Some get a little bit smarter <laughs> or whatever, but those mistakes when you talk and, and it doesn't matter whether it's gear, technique, stalking, you know, reading the weather. I mean, you name it. Um, it, it, when you talk about things like this, that's, that is one thing that, that you've done a good job. And I try to really express this to people is, you know, cause I've got messages like, man, you're arrogant, like, you know, everything. And I'm like, man, if it comes across that way, I apologize. What it is, is I have fucked up so much. I am enunciating myself very clearly because believe me, I have already screwed it up many times and I'm trying to make it clear to not do it for other people listening in. Meaning, that, that I've done it enough to know that this is something that is non-negotiable, right? Like, let's say not marking your bat backpack before you go on a stock, dropping your footwear and losing them. Like, you know, guys will go like in their socks. And I, I try to keep that to a bear. I'm not, I'm not on the stick. I had to do it maybe a little bit more. It does slow me down a little bit. And I've had to go look for my shoes before and it sucks. So I try not to ever drop my footwear unless absolutely necessary. And I, and I, I think you said you don't, I will in certain scenarios, it's going to have to be pretty damn, it's going to be where I'm so close to the top of them that, that we're talking like feet, right? One of those positions and no wind and generally it's zero wind. And I'm, I'm literally down damn near my underwear. I'm tucking things in. Um, Cause it's just, dude, like when you got a visual (laughs) and my legs are white. Um, (laughs) mm. When you, when you go in on those things and I think this is a good, like kind of segue into this as far as strategies, you don't drop your, your footwear, you don't drop your boots. And, and, and that there is not a right or wrong there, but your ability in that, that red zone, you may be a little bit quieter than I am where I feel, okay, man, there is zero wind today. This is that day. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm at, I'm at 40 and I cannot get a shot and I'm going to have to get even closer. I might go to stocking shoes or socks. Very rarely does that happen, but it does happen. Well, I'll go down to him. That's going to be up for that person to try both out. Listen to Marlon. He doesn't drop them. Listen to me. I'm more of a, Mm, 98 two, right? Like 98 stocks. I'm probably keeping them on 2%. I'm taking them off, but you got to have to figure that out on your own. And for you, it sounds like you don't, you don't drop your boots at all. No, I think you're right. Like, I think there's a place for everything. You're right. When there's no wind, God, it's so quiet. It's like, you can, you can hear the blood going through your veins. You can hear the air in your lungs yeah. going through your ears. Heart beating your ear. Like everything's yeah. ringing. Yeah, you're like, God, it's so freaking quiet. But, you know, I've noticed that, um, that I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's just my way. I think what has propelled my desire to not take off my boots is simply how many times I've screwed up and been 80 yards for my boots 
and they get up and move beds in the rut or something, or there's cactus and I can't just rush over and grab my boots. I got to keep going. But they started a feet away. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Like, yep. I'm sitting here and I'm <laughs> Dude, stuck I... in the middle of nowhere. Like, and I... there they go. But I could have a shot if I have my boots on, but I don't have my boots on. So I got to wait till they feed over this rise. And then I got to go get my boots on. And then I got to sneak back to where they were and see if they're still there. Like that's happened to me more than the scenarios where I'd sit there and say, Oh, well, I want to keep them on. So that way I can, or I want to take them off so I can get closer. I've just ran into situations where it ended up messing my, my scenario up more than it helped. And you know, when you get that rhythm, that stock tempo, when you're just like, you're in that zone and your eyes just lock in, your eyes are just like, this is death right now. This is the zone. This is happening. And nothing is going to get in your way. Like I get in those zones when I'm in tight, tight enough to where I should know better on whether I'm going to take them off or not. And I'm just like, okay, I'm in so tight. Nothing's going to mess this up except for me. And I'm just going to be slow. Cause I know that I can, even if it's quiet, I can get away with, you know how you can get away with a clacking rock or a little bit of brush going past your, the fabric. But the moment, uh, things start to grind and and there's a, a slide like a sliding grind of the boot then that's a deal breaker like that's done like inside of 40 yards you do that you are done it's standing up and going to look at you period i don't care what you do if you got wind you don't need to worry about it at all but if it's quiet that's a deal breaker whereas if a rock kind of like tumbles a little bit or if a little bit of brush goes past your fabric that you can kind of get away with some of this stuff and and i think it's for me, it's just understanding what I can get away with more than anything else. And it doesn't always work out, but it works out often enough to where I can tag out on the animal that I want with a consistent enough metric that I'm comfortable if, if I, you know, have to reroute or come back in or it's not the right time to make that stock, then I just simply won't. But I, I don't know. I just, it's just one of those things where I, I, I will tell you 100% I'm agreeing with you. The boots do not come off in the desert for me ever, like ever. Um, in Texas is the same way. And when I say Texas, I'm not talking like in the hill country. I'm talking down on the Mexican border. Um, they don't come off ever. And I've had guys. You know, the thing is, is you learn to be you you um, you learn what rocks to hop on. Like I can smoke it. Like I can look when you talk about that that zone you get in. Um, and I would say like. I can look a hundred yards ahead of me and I can see a route I can take that is going to be the quietest possible. Meaning I'm going to be on my toes or the balls, you know, the fatty pads of my feet just below my toes going from rock to rock to rock, not touching the ground. Now you get on one of those bigger flat rocks and you've got flat shale or sand on it. Or, or when I say pebbles, different scenario, mm -hmm. you're going to start crunching shit. It's going to sound like cereal. And it's like, Oh, you, you, you have to assess that as you're walking, but I never take my fucking boots off in the desert. I, I will never do it again. I, I step on, step on another one of those little barrel fuckers or those prickly pear, whatever they are. It'll drop you like a sniper. And the thing is, it's like, then you're somewhat ineffective on the stock. Cause I don't, I mean, I'm tough, but I'm not that tough. Put eight or nine of them in my yeah. heel. Yeah. I'm not going to be moving yeah. out. I, I, you just can't. And so I agree with you a hundred percent on the fact that it's more detrimental to take them off a lot of times or, or for me all the time than it is to, you know, keep them on. Well, so, you know, the funny thing of it is, is that like the desert's kind of like that training ground, right? 
in so many ways. No, it's, Once you it's fucking horrible. You, <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. You can't take them off. So once you learn how to hunt there and get in tight effectively, going into the high country almost seems like this is cake. Like as long as they got good wind and the diurnal shift is kicked in, like this is easy. You get anywhere in the high country, unless you're in that cliffy, nasty crap where it's just more of, okay, can I do this without killing myself? But it has nothing to do with, can I do it without being quiet? Like you can do it without being quiet. It's more of, uh, I might die. It, you know, but like when you, I think the desert's like just a training ground. It's this place where you just learn how to break out your ninja skills. Well, t- talking about ninja skills, like I was, I was explaining this to <clears throat> different decisions I've made, maybe holding up, holding back on a deer. And this is more to do with closer shots with a trad, a trad bow compared to a compound. But when you look at imperceptible movements, and this is a problem a lot of people have, you get a deer that pins you down, ears forward, buck or doe, especially an older doe, because those little assholes are just as bad as the bucks as far as blowing shit out. Just wait. Yeah. yeah, but just wait it out. And when I say wait it out, I don't care if you got 16 bees stinging you. Wait, because eventually they will go back to doing because it's movement. They look up and they're burning mm-hmm. like your soul with their eyes. They're looking through you <laughs> like, I know this little fucker. There's something there. Eventually they give up. No different than human. They just have more patience. So like, you and you, you, you know, there's different videos that, that I'll, I'll, I'll post up where you can hear me, get, you know, hear me say to a client, stop, we're pinned, stop. And then like, he'll go to like, mm-hmm. let's say his bow's in his left hand. He goes to put his release in my pocket and I'm like, no. Like that deer is looking for a small amount of movement and it may take five minutes. It may take one minute. It it may take longer. That deer is eventually going to go back to doing what it's doing. And, and my wife got to watch me go on a stalk uh, in South Dakota and she was beside my buddy Rotier and it was amazing to her. He could tell her what I was going to do before I was going to do it because he is very, very proficient at it, hunting mule deer. And so I would get, make one approach and I would, she, she would say, he's going to start low crawling right there. And within five yards, I'd be, when I say low crawling, I'm on my stomach scooting up a little bit. It's pretty windy, but they had centuries. They had this one, this one, they had one specific doe. She'd, she'd poke her ears po- forward and he'd be like, all right, he's pinned. They go up and he'd literally mm-hmm. be like, all right, he's going to back out. I'd back out. And she was enamored by that because he was telling her the future. Well, then he's like, he tells her, I guarantee he's going to go up top, low crawl down. That's the only way in. Sure as shit. There I am low crawling through these, that buck brush. Right. But it was so windy. Noise was out of the question. So again, when I backed up off the first two stalks, I looked and I was like, all right, this wind is enough. That, that, that buck Mm -hmm. brush is only 12 inches tall, but my fat ass is less than that. And it's blowing and you get blowing grass and and shit that screws their eyesight up. So I, I, I get on top above this and you'll laugh at this. I'm just, I've got a 12 yard segment wide open before I, where you go over the crest to get into that draw into the buck brush. And Mm -hmm. he's like, he tells her, fuck, he's pinned. She's got him. And he goes, and I texted her and I was like, man, this doe's a bitch. Right when he was saying (laughs) that I was pinned, he's got her. And she was laughing because as soon as her ears went up and I watched her move, it took five minutes. And I texted, I was like, dude, no guts, no glory. I'm going in. Her ears are back. And my wife was like, and they were a thousand yards away. He was watching in a a 115. And so then anyway, I ended up going down and killing the deer. And she was enamored by that. I'm like, look, the info is there in front of you. 
It's a matter if you mm-hmm. can take that info that's in front of you, dissect it, and make a good decision off of what whatever you want to call it, Mother Nature is giving you because take the wind away, right, from what I had, there's no way Not I would have been able to. Yeah, yeah, I would add it back out totally. I mean, it's a, it's a non, yeah. it's a, it's a non-start. I'm not, I'm not going. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing how that, that set of circumstances and conditions exist in this world every single day since the day we were born, the ingredients to succeed in whatever we want are there no matter what. And it's just up to us to get our fat ass out of bed. And go pick up the ingredients and make the cake. You want to learn how to be a great proficient bow hunter? Learn behavior. Understand what you can get away with. Know what you can do. Like, there's a set of ingredients and there's a skill set available. And it's just how bad you want it. And and it's fun because, like, I can imagine the scenario as if I was standing right next to your buddy. Like, sitting there next to him, just watching the play-by-play. I could see it. And that's what's so funny about it is you can understand their behavior there. Once you learn them, they're so predictable that it, it truly is uh, making those on the fly calculations. That's the hidden, that's the hidden secret sauce to all of this. It's, it's understanding how to adjust yourself on the fly in those scenarios that not one size fits all. That's why I sat there in the beginning and said, of course, is great. Yeah, sure. Okay. You know, look for bucks on the south facing slopes with these type of conditions or whatever, you know, it doesn't even matter. Right. But it'll, it'll give you like a, 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 a kind of maybe like a basic rule book to follow with provisions in it, but good Lord, that's not where the success in the hunt lays. In my opinion, the success of a hunt lays in exactly what you just spoke about. That's where it hinges between success or failure and then failure only really ends up being failure if you don't continue on right so success is a guarantee success is a guarantee and the only provision is you don't quit you quit you're fucked so if you want to succeed and you want to win you just don't quit you keep doing it and you understand that that behavior side of it that aspect you you really truly become a student of the game and next thing you know like you're unstoppable and it's bitching it becomes fun and, and you're right, like in the very beginning, like, yeah, dude, you arguably probably have a bigger problem than me. And I have a huge problem. My problem is, is I love bow hunting. I just love bow hunting big bucks. I'm like obsessed with it. Problem is I can't seem to find anything that's big enough that I want to get excited about anymore. But I'm trying really hard. Hopefully in January, I can freaking set that on fire and do something about it. But we'll see. Now, my, my problem is definitely not that. My problem is getting, and people have said, because I've been, you know, whatever, given crap or whatever about I'm, I'm a horrible trophy owner, which is true that, oh, well, you know what, man, eventually when you shoot enough, that'll go away. Mm, yeah, no, that hasn't <laughs> happened yet. And, you know, it, and there's nothing wrong with either one. For me, it's when I get excited. Now, I will say with mule deer, I kind of have a hard, steadfast rule of like that four and a half or older, you know, as, as I, I mean, I don't want to shoot a, a, a kid, right? So I, I focus on four or fives even better um, year old. And generally, you know, when you when you go in on, on a hunt as far as like, um, like you were talking about – if you you need to be ready to go home without a uh, filling your tag, um, 
if you're going to focus on really big animals, deer, mule deer is no different. And, and, and Robbie Dennings talked about that. Robbie, Robbie Dennings has been very successful. He's like, you need to be willing to eat your tag. And believe me, I've been around a ton of guys. I say trophy hunters, but age class, larger age class, wow factor deer, it doesn't necessarily mean score, but has curb appeal, catches your eye, right? Like for me, a big three by three, you give me a 28 inch wide three by three, I think they're just awesome looking. Now they're not going to score for shit, but they're cool looking. And so that might catch, you might have in the case, like you may have 180 inch four by four in front of you, but see a, a three by three that gets just catches your eye more. It's not about necessarily score all the time. It's just about what is, what is out there in front of you and each specific person. But either way, when they get really big and they get really old, if that's what you're focusing on, you need to get used to not filling your tag. Cause no matter how good you are, you're not going to fill it all the time because they may not be fucking there or they may only be one of them. And I'm over here looking at 40, 165-inch four-year-olds. You're looking at one, six-and-a-half, seven-and-a-half-year-old, 210, two, you know, 190, whatever. It's just more difficult. And you got to get – I mean, you got to get used to not filling your tag. Luckily for me, I get excited over just about anything, and so I fill my tag frequently because I'm not holding out uh, where you are. <laughs> Yeah, this season was really weird for me. I, I, you know, I, I, so it's a yes and no. Like it's, it's not all about score, like screw score. I mean, yes. Do I want to arrow a buck that's over 200, a non-typical and a typical clean for sure. Like it's a, it's a, it's a over the dashboard, looking onto the horizon, kind of a goal of mine that I've always wanted to do. And some guys are able to just, you know, I live in Laguna Beach. Everything for me is, is, from a logistics standpoint, extremely difficult. If you're trying to go unguided on public land with predominantly one-point unit or crap over-the-counter type scenarios where it's hallowed ground for you, but it's also hallowed ground for like 20,000 other people, um, it's very hard to find that, that deer. Like when you start getting into that 180 class, you're pretty much – you're pretty much where it ends. That's where it stops. I mean, there's going to be one or two here and there. And I mean, they're so far apart that you're talking, it might be five years to a decade apart uh, between seeing deer like that. Now there are some places that, you know, we used to look at in the high country that used to hold them for sure consistently. And, but you know, that's kind of gone away. I mean, even the last 10 years, dude, things have declined so much as far as size, score size and whatnot. Nowadays, like, I'm definitely looking for maturity if I can't find, uh, you know, a better scoring animal. And a lot of times the better scoring animals are the, the ones that are in between that five and a half to seven and a half year mark. Once they get past seven and a half, they start digressing or they start regressing. And then before, you know, four and a half, you're really kind of, you just see all these youngster traits. And, and that's what happened to me in my high country hunt this year is just lots of youngsters, beautiful little bugs that need two or three years and like i passed on this one buck that was an inline five by five he was really a gorgeous deer and honestly it would have looked great on the wall but i wasn't i was into him but i always kept telling myself in my mind i'm not into you enough to where if i get you on the ground i'm gonna be super psyched that you're on the ground i would actually sit there and go dang if he only had a couple more years and i can't tell you how many times i've arrowed animals where i'm like gosh i wish he i'd wish i would have just you know let him go he, he would have been so much better next year and i don't want to really have that feeling uh anymore until 
you know, I go a few more hunts without a deer and then I'm going to want to fill my, fill my freezer. But, um, I'm trying to hold out, you know, it's not, it's not meant for everyone. And, and candidly, I'm, I'm not even cut out for it. It sucks, but I'm just going to try it for a little while and see how it works out. And if I feel like coming back over to the dark side with you, then, you know, you'll know pretty quick. <laughs> we, well, we were talking about, I'm like a great hunting partner. Cause, uh, I don't mind shooting, I think we call it management bucks, right? But for me, it's, it's one, the, it is hard for me. Like I cannot go on a stock on a, like a realistic stock on a deer to say, well, let's just see if I get close. Yeah, I'm probably going to kill it, right? I, I, that's not a good idea, right? I mean, it's just not something I should say, oh, I'm just going to see if I can get close, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, put me twenty yards. Going to get close. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably kill it, and and I don't mean that arrogantly at all. I'm just saying that I get close to a deer, man. For me, it's about the, that adrenaline, you know, getting in on it, and and obviously the pack out and all the other shit. I mean, I just love being out there, but you know, I it, it uh, when when we're back there hunting, I mean, I've talked about this at nauseum. Um, I can, and I've get shit from, I mean, Mike Duplan gives me probably as much shit and my buddy Alex more than anyone is I can see 185, 195, even pushing two in the high country on Monday. On Tuesday, if I see a 165, I pretty much have forgot about that other deer and I'm going to go shoot that 165 or whatever. You get the point. <laughs> and, uh, people are wired differently. I don't have a problem with either one. Other people are like, Jesus, that's stupid. Why didn't you hold out for the other one? I'm like, I don't know. I wanted to shoot this one. Nothing wrong with either strategy. <laughs> I just am not. I'm wired differently. And I don't get Twitter pated about it. Like, guys give me shit about it, rightfully so. I, I don't, uh, I'm not hiding behind it. I don't, I, I like, I like getting in on animals and, and, and I like eating the damn thing. So, but I, I think though, when you go in on it, like I said, you have to be a rea- realistic, uh, have realistic expectations for your skill set and your knowledge, as well as being, you know, able to to eat a tag um you know i don't know for most people i'd say one to one out of every three to four years is when they're putting a true you know giant down especially with archery tackle is a is a pretty damn good average um you know for for most and i'd be like to hear your thoughts on this when i say that if you're holding out with a 185 plus buck um unless you paid for some insane tag if you're shooting uh 33 of the time you're getting one you're doing pretty damn good yeah, no, that's 185. Yeah, I mean, I like, yeah, and I'm not talking be my internet 185. <clears throat> I'm talking a real 185 buck. Yeah, they're they're rare, they're rare, they're very rare. Um, internet 185s are all over the place. Real 185s are are rare. Um, and I would say that's about right. Every three to four years, if you're hunting public land, super super freaking hard passionately you're not getting multiple a year you're, you're getting one every three or four years it, it's not it's hard there's lots of like 160s 170s and there's tons of those it, there's so many of those to where it's kind of like eh, uh, and it does not does not like do anything for me but when i do see one that starts getting into that 180 185 range i start really getting excited and it's really hard so that is when it's hard to keep me off of them like even if I know there's a 200 in the country. I knew that there was a 210 running around a few years ago and I was on his ass. Like I freaking had his home figured out. I knew when he was watering, where he was traveling, where he was like staging himself. 
the rut was getting it was getting closer to where it was pre-rut time i had i was on his ass and i caught one glimpse of him maybe the week prior and i knew he was hit holding in this basin it was probably like you know a couple miles across and there's lots of junipers and just thick crap and it was just it's tough right you got to stay very consistent but the hunting out every day and i knew that i was catching up to him i knew i was getting close but i have my boy with me he's <clears throat> and then what was he back then like seven or eight years old something like that and i've had him coming up the mountain with me since he was like four and a half so he knows when to be quiet he's gone on a bunch of stocks with me but we passed on, you know, half a dozen deer that day. And I'm like, no, nah, not that one. No, nah, not that one. No, nah, I'm looking for this one. You know, I'm looking for this one big buck. And I couldn't find him. But then this, you know, this, <laughs> he had all these, he had these bases that were loaded with all these like little cheaters and sticker points coming off of his burr and off of the back of his eye guard. And he had two little kickers coming off of his frame, a beautiful 28 inch mainframe four point like a mid 170 it was like 176 mainframe with like you know 12 10 10 9 10 inches of trash something like that and he had 12 total little tiny kickers and everything like that off of all of everything just stuff going everywhere some cool deer and my son's sitting there we're watching him from about 500 yards away through the big eyes he's like dad let's kill that buck and like in my head i'm like I'm on the tail of this giant, like we're in his living room. But I got this kid like right next to me, his eyes are huge, he's like lighting up. And I'm like, as a dad, I'm like, there's just no way I can't, I can't, I can't not make this memory with my kid. So like, you know, my pursuit for a 200 inch deer, honestly doesn't mean that much to me. Otherwise I'd have been like, sorry buddy, like I can't go with deer because I know I'm on this deer. I'm on this big buck. I have a chance at this thing and there's still, you know, a couple weeks left in season. Like. I'm going to get this deer. And it didn't matter to me when he was like, dad, I want to kill that deer. Let's do it. And I freaking grabbed him. We hiked down the mountain side by side on the backside of the ridge, came up over the top of this saddle, skirt down just a little bit. And there he was feeding at 71 yards. My son was standing right next to me and we whacked the crap out of him right there and ran down to him, put another arrow in him and freaking sat there and we were high-fiving each other. It was just a little kid, you know, it was a little, little man. And <clears throat> I wouldn't replace that memory for anything like that was way more to me than any 200 inch deer could have ever been so it's kind of like one of those things where i'm lightly flirting with it meaning i really you know would like to but if circumstances prevail to make a bitch in memory then i'm just going to go with the bitch in memory because at the end of the day i'm just a hunter and i like to hunt yeah well and there's nothing wrong with either one that's the one thing i really try to get across is like hey you know if you want to you know, focus on you know the trophy hunting or age, obviously, or, or you're more of a, hey, I just want to get out there and try to shoot the best deer. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Just whatever makes you, you know, happy. I will say, you know, just keep your goals attainable. When I say attainable, have realistic goals and then go a little above that. Meaning if you, you know, you've shot a couple three, four-year-old mule deer and you're like, okay, well now, yeah, push it to where you want to shoot a four or five or, or size or whatever, and then kind of set the bar and then try to go a little bit above that. But it's all good. I mean, it doesn't really, you got to do what makes you happy, not what somebody, you know, it's making somebody, you know, else happy. And that happens a lot online these days. So yeah, I agree, man. I'm going to put a couple things out there into the, into the energy ethos, right? One is teeing off exactly what you just said. Like, don't let yours or my, anybody who's listened to this, like, it doesn't matter what we think is, you know, 
that's for us. That's what we want. And you got to decide for yourself what you want. And, you know, whatever keeps you happy is, is really at the end of the day, what matters the most and go do that, execute on it. And, uh, hopefully, um, you know, I know that I learn stuff from Aaron all the time, always listening to little tips. He's always posting killer information. Um, you know, on your stories and whatnot and in your feed. And so I'm always like watching and looking and learning. And um, and at the end of the day, that's what makes us better. We learn from people that are as good as us or better than us. And we continue to forge on as, as best we can to become, you know, the outdoorsman that we desire to be. Uh, but the other thing that I want to do is put out there, dude, since you're up there in Wyoming, I need to put these points to use. You and I should uh, manifest into existence uh, a hunt where we go into the backcountry up there and film a hunt where I don't know is this year, next year, the year after, doesn't matter to me, but um, where we go out and film a hunt and do something bitching with our bows um, for everyone. That'd be cool. No, I think that'd be awesome. And it's new to me up here as well. So when I say as well, like I haven't messed around too much, you know, in Wyoming, obviously I knew enough that I, I liked it up here, but I, th- I think that'd be a good idea. And some people would, you know, would eat up, especially to the, um, whether it be the tech tip info or, you know, showing some of the daily, you know, grind that, uh, what's it, uh, people kind of glamorize the backpack, uh, wilderness hunting and they leave out some of the Wait, shitty did I, parts of did it. Did I say backpack? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, short backpack. Um, but no, I think that'd be, that'd be cool, but, uh, that's funny. But man, we we're in an hour and a half here. I probably should hop off and do some real live work. And that's kind of a good, uh, segue to, to cut this off. And we can just do another one and talk about all the other stuff I still want to talk about, which was more hunting and photography, but, uh, but man, tell everybody where they can get the app, go over that one more time, where can they can check out your work, things like that. So you can, uh, take a look at, uh, the IG is at Graylight Hunter, uh, in the center of the stories there down there, uh, there's the Graylight app. You could also go to graylighthunter.com and then check out the Graylight app there where you can just kind of read a little bit more about, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish with it. But then you can go to the uh, uh, App Store and find it under Graylight, G-R-A-Y-L-I-G-H-T. Uh, same thing under Google Play. And then, uh, yeah, the photography stuff is a whole different whole different ballgame. That's another passion. But uh, appreciate your time. It's super awesome to get a chance to wrap with you here on this platform. Um, I've been a fan of it for a lot of years, Aaron. Been a fan of yours for a lot of years. And appreciate your friendship and brotherhood and working with Kaparu. Um and just hope we can uh, end this season off with a bang, try and put another couple giants on the ground. But uh, appreciate you, dude. Yeah, no, I appreciate you as well, the friendship, the support, everything. So, um, yeah, we will have uh, links up when we release this to to get, uh, uh, you know, obviously where to find Marlon on social media as well as get, getting the app. Uh, and we'll post this up really whenever uh, Marlon tells me to. So, but yeah, man, I appreciate it and look forward to seeing what you come out with. This is exciting. Yeah, man. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Yep, you as well.